I think the first thing that I want to say is that it is an amazing privilege to stand here and look out at all you wonderful, beautiful, amazing faces. So many Deborahs in this room, all in one room. And I know so many of you, and I'm looking forward to getting to know others. And I just see such incredible combined uh, commitment to the Lord, commitment to his people, incredible service and humility and power and grace, grace on you. And um, it, it's quite staggering just to be here with you. Thank you for coming and making this possible. You are the one that's making this possible. And uh, I just feel a rising excitement of what God could do amongst us and do through us to each other and then send us out to wherever it is we live and work. And um, it's just humbling to be able to be part of it and to serve you in any way. Just to set this whole... By the way, if you've got a Bible here, um, while I'm just chattering at the beginning, you could maybe find a couple of references which I'm going to speak from. One is in the Old Testament, Isaiah 49, and the other one is the New Testament, Matthew 15. Um, I'm not going to do the whole thing, don't worry. I'll do as much as I can. Um, Just to set this whole thing in context, at the end of 2011... Um, Lindsay and Karen and Nadine and I got, went away together to just pray and seek the Lord about what the future for the uh, women and leadership conferences were. Those of you who've been with us through that time will know that we've been having conferences regionally. We had three regions at the time, and um, there'd been this sort of thing in the three different regions, about a third of the size, I suppose. And um, we just needed to know from the Lord what he was, how he wanted us to take this on. And we got led to this chapter, Isaiah 49. And as we read it through, we um, found ourselves getting really excited by it. And um, so part of that is really what I want to share with you. But I want to show, I want to jump right in to um, verse... uh, 12, which goes like this. It's, it's all about the restoration of Israel. So God's kingdom coming and being restored to us. And um, we got to verse 12, and it says this, See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, and some from the region of Aswan, which, if you know your geography, Aswan, Dam, it's in the south. And we read that, and we thought, Oh, my word, that's our three regions. And they're all going to come together. And that's why we're together now, really, because we started praying about that and sensing that that was what the Lord wanted us to do. Well, back in 2011, of course, what we didn't realize was that we would be in the wider New Wine, in the place where we are actually planning to gather together in the summer next year. All that was out of our thinking. Um, And not only that... But we hadn't realized that by now, we wouldn't actually be three regions. We'll be multiplying regions. We'll be more. 
So actually, everybody joining together is like the new thing that the Lord already had in mind. The Lord knew you would be here now, but we didn't. Isn't it amazing that we can just uh, be part of the Lord's plan and he can just tell us what to do and we don't even understand what all the future uh, ramifications are going to be. So I thought you might just uh, like that and find that quite interesting. Other than that, I'm going to go straight in on the verse which I would love to be a sort of um, verse over us for the next 48 hours, and it's um, in verse 8, and this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. Listen to this. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. That's the Lord's plan for us. Did you notice how much in that verse it says, I will. This is all about what the Lord is going to do, and we're going to be part of it. And that's the amazing thing, that this is now the day of his favor. This is the day of salvation. We're living in it. I know it doesn't always feel like that, especially when, you know, um, you've run out of chocolate and that sort of thing. (laughs) But actually, we are living in the day of his favor and the day of salvation, and all these promises are true for us. And we are called, we have a holy calling, and it's encapsulated like this, to reassign the desolate inheritances. You are called to reassign the desolate inheritances. And we are surrounded by desolate inheritances. You only have to listen to the news to hear how desolate things are around us. Um, I just made a quick, uh, after listening to the news, I just made a quick list here. But the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, talked about one million elderly people intensely lonely and then said five million people say, that's a lot of people, say television is their main form of company. That's 10% of the population. And if you ask me, the other 90% probably have virtual friends and not much else. Loneliness is a huge desolation amongst us. Uh, Then there's a looming energy crisis. How long will it last? Will there be a lack of heating? That is going to affect the very young and the elderly and the poor. You don't have to scratch the surface very hard to discover in our own towns and cities. Prostitution, drug abuse, gang warfare, sex trafficking. It's all around us. Two women I know who feel called to minister to women on the streets Um, have told me in the last six months that they have been to their councils, two different towns, to say, this is what we want to do. We want to uh, set up a charity for uh, women of the street prostitutes to be told by their councils, we don't have that problem in our town. They are now ministering to dozens of prostitutes in their town. Desolate inheritances. Cyberbullying, sexting, young people absolutely uh, 
living a different sort of life and really uh, struggling to find their identity. 50% of our young people say they've been, uh, they've been on the end of sexting things, cyberbullying. 50%. Human trafficking on the rise. BBC News said trafficking gangs in China, Vietnam, Nigeria, and Eastern Europe now pose the biggest threat in the UK. Desolate inheritances. Epidemic numbers of teenagers self-harming, suicidal, facing eating disorders, as we've just heard. And that's all before we start on local problems or even personal problems of people that we know day by day and meet day by day. And you know, we are called, this is what this verse says, to reassign those desolate inheritances. What an amazing calling. You and I might not look like much, but we are called with an amazing, sacred calling to reassign those desolate inheritances. Sometimes I think, you know, the church is a little bit like um, an aeroplane ride. You know when you go on a plane and you take off from Heathrow and it's always grey and drizzling. And then you go up through the clouds and all of a sudden you find yourself in bright sunlight and blue sky. And you go, oh, it's wonderful up here. And you uh, have your plane ride in the blue sky. And then, of course, eventually you have to land again. You go back down through the clouds and the grey. The sun's there. We know the sun's there, but we just don't see it. You know, sometimes the church is a bit like the plane ride, and we're still up with the sun, and uh, we've forgotten that actually we're going to have to land sometime. And the landing is when we start to reassign those desolate inheritances. When we've been together and we've worshipped the Lord and we've known his presence, and we know the truth of the promises that he has for us, then he says, I have made you a covenant for the people, a sign. You, ha you are people of promise. I've promised. I will keep you. I will help you. I will rescue you. You are people of promise, and I've called you to reassign those desolate inheritances. How are we going to do it? Well, as you read on, you find in verse 9, this is how he says, Say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. You know, for too long, the voices of women have been silenced in the church. But it's changing. <laughs> for one, anyway. <laughs> you know, we're being given platforms. But whatever platform we have, whether it's a pulpit, a stage, whether it's a written platform in a book, a blog, a website a kitchen table with people around it. We've got to work out how to find our own voices. And this is what this is all about, because our voice is important. And we have a voice that can say to the captives, come out. Be free. Come out. Be free. And as we say those things, we're going to see amazing things happen. I absolutely agree with Francis of Assisi, who said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. You know that? 
And what I observe is that we women are really good at getting our hands dirty and being down there doing it. And, you know, sometimes we will need to use words. And there is a time to use words. And Jesus is the word. And what I think as women we need to remember, remember as we find our voice is this, that Jesus is the word. And when Jesus was confronted by a man who was blind, he would say, Open, opened the eyes, and they opened. When he saw the cripples, he said, jump up and walk, and they jumped up and walked. It doesn't look like he used 5,000 words. And you know what they say, that um, we women can use 5,000 words in, in a day on average, and men only use 2,000. Um, they're much more economical with their words. I know that because my son's phone bills um, you know, were always less than my daughter's because <laughs> they just didn't go on for so long. Um, but actually, sometimes our 5,000 words actually muddies the pool. We've got to make our words count. We've got to work out how to uh, find the right words and speak with authority. Jesus reassigned the desolate inheritances, and that's what we're called to as well. Um, maybe you've come here, and you're hoping that you will get a word from someone that will really help you to know how to go on. Somebody's already said that to me. I'm just hoping that the Lord will speak to me. Do you know, I'm praying that the Lord will speak to each one of us. Uh, he may speak to you through the worship. He may speak to you through someone praying for you. He may speak to you as um, you're coming up for ministry or you're in a prayer group. Whatever it is, uh, you may be the one actually delivering the word to the person next to you. Let's just be willing to receive a word as well as give a word because we're called to both. And as we do that, let's find our voice. We need to encourage one another. You know, um, there's a new phrase abroad, which is this, hate speech. And there are an awful lot of words being used nowadays in really hateful ways. And I think that it is a day when we as women have got to rise up and start speaking, not hate speech, but great speech, because the world needs to hear something different. Um, Nadine was uh, pointing out to me, because we watched the Great British Bake Off. Um, I don't know how many of you watched that, but it's a really lovely program. It's not what you might call you know, a real thriller or... Um, <laughs> You know, it's not a past the 9.30 uh, um, uh, deadline. But apparently, uh, people would have blogs and say really horrible things about the people on the program. Poor Ruby. That, poor Ruby. Poor Ruby. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that is just par for the course. There are so many ways in which people think they have the freedom and permission to say really cruel, cutting, critical, destructive things and get away with it. I don't know why people do it, but I think we're called to great speech. Let's find our voices. Let's, find, let's not just hang back and stand back. Let's speak up, and let's speak up words of encouragement and words of affirmation. 
Let's move on because there's something that's really important for us here. Verse 13, shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth. We're really going to enjoy worshipping together. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. This is such an interesting verse in the Bible. And this is where I think, this is why I love the Bible. This is why I will read the Bible to my dying day. It will be the one book I read every day. Because it's so real. You see, when you read that Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, you think, oh dear, things have gone wrong. They're not being very holy. The point is, that's exactly what you and I feel so often, isn't it? We lose confidence. I mean, the Lord is the Lord. His faithfulness is always there. We've been singing about it. And yet, how often can you and I sit there and think, oh, I just don't know whether the Lord has remembered me. Something has happened. Some, something I wasn't expecting has happened. The way my life is turning out wasn't what I had hoped for. Maybe the Lord has just forsaken me. Do you know that's something that each of us can feel? And I would love this to be a place where we are open enough, just like this verse, to be able to say it as it really is and not feel that we have to gloss over it and be victorious and feel we've got it all together feel we've got to put on a good show. Because actually, do you know, when we lose confidence, we need to have the courage and we need also the permission from each other to be able to say it and say, that's how it is, that's how I'm feeling. What is there for me? And hear a word from someone else. And find someone who has the word of encouragement for us. Because there will be that in this room. But let's be... Um, Let's be free enough to be able to say how it really is. And this is what I think that the Lord has for us. And this is what, why I think this verse was maybe written for us as women. Verse 16. The Lord says this, when we feel we've lost confidence. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. This is what I think the Lord's answer is for those of us when we lose confidence or when we feel it's all gone wrong. We need to know that the Lord has a mother's heart of compassion for us. And he will express that however he will, and it may be through the woman sitting next to you even. The Lord is the perfect mother. None of us have had perfect mothers. You know, all our relationships with our mothers have been fractured in one way or another because we're all imperfect. And those of us who are mothers, we know only too well that we have not been perfect mothers either. And yet, you know, the Lord is our perfect mother. This verse says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast, perish the thought, and yet it is possible. 
And we're not just talking about terrible mothers you read about in the papers. I mean, I, I was reading this through with my daughter, and um, she said, yes, do you remember when you forgot to pick me up from school? <laughs> Twice. <laughs> I mean, with the best will in the world, we can be terrible mothers. But we have a perfect God who can give us, who can forgive us, and who can show us how to do the job better. The mother heart that we have in us is the heart that comes from him. However your mother was, you can have a mother heart from the Lord. And that's really where I want us to uh, land. And that's why I said, let's have a look at Matthew uh, 15 as well. Because Matthew 15 is all about a mother. And it's the story of the mother who, um, she's a Canaanite woman, she comes to Jesus and she says, please, could you heal my daughter who is demon-possessed? So she is two women. Probably this daughter is going to be a bit older because she left her at home. She wasn't with her. You'd have had young children with you. Here's a mother coming with a daughter. And you know the story. It's rather strange. Jesus seems to brush her off and say, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel not to the Canaanites and the Gentiles. And she perseveres, and she says, but Lord, I've got a daughter who needs healing, please. And he says, well, you can't give the bread to the children from the, that's meant for the children to the dogs. And she says, ah, but we can get the crumbs if we're the dogs. It's such an interesting story because it looks as if Jesus is just um, brushing her off and being a bit rude. How often have you prayed and it's felt as if heaven has been silent? How often have you prayed and it's felt as if Jesus has answered someone next to you but not you? Someone else has got healed but you didn't get healed. Someone else got a baby your daughter didn't get a baby, or you didn't. How often does it feel like that? And yet Jesus knows what he's doing. Let's have a look at this mother. If you've got Matthew 15 in front of you, I just want to uh, point out a couple of things because I think this is something that I want us to help each other with because I think as we see the mother heart rise amongst us, we will have the answer to so much of the hurts that we have uh, within us and, and between us. And the first thing I want to say is this, that Jesus goes to the land of Tyre and Sidon where this woman lives. Tyre was a pagan and Gentile city. It had been a great city. It had been the jewel of the sea. It had fallen on hard times. But if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that Tyre was a city that was cursed by Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 26. All the Jews would know that Tyre was not the place to be. This is the interesting thing. We often talk about this story as um, the woman who came to Jesus. Actually, when you read the story, you discover this. Jesus came to the woman. And where did he come? He came to a place accursed. 
He came to a place that wasn't full of spiritual life. He came to a place that other people had despised. In fact, he came to a place which in the curse, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel prophecies, the king of Tyre is likened to Satan. The, the, the very home of Satan. And Jesus came there. Do you know, I take great encouragement from this, that whenever I feel I'm in a place that's barren, cursed, there's no spiritual life around me, there's nothing going on, Jesus goes to those places. Those are the sort of places we can go to because we know that if he goes, then we're going to see stuff happening. And do you know, I think he went because he saw spiritual hunger in one woman. And she was the most unlikely woman because she wasn't even an Israelite. Here comes this woman. And what we can see from the way she uh, just responds to Jesus and what's happening in her life, in other words, apparently no answer from Jesus, that's something we can learn from and that's something I want us to learn from. Three things. We learn that she is persistent. How is this woman so persistent when she seems to be getting a brush off from Jesus? Do you know what I think it is? She's a mother. She's got a mother's heart. She's coming on behalf of her daughter. I don't know, those of you who are mothers, uh, who have children, you know that you will go to the ends of the earth for them. And you know, those of us with a mother heart, or the mother heart in us, has got nothing to do with our own children. It's got something to do with that feeling of being able to persist in prayer for someone else because you would do it for them when you wouldn't do it for yourself. There were times when we started out, when we were um, just growing our church way, way back. And, uh, you know, there were so many people who hated change. Have you ever tried to change something in the church? And, um, you know, people don't like it. And because they don't like it, they don't like you either. And uh, when they don't like you, they make it very uncomfortable for you. And all sorts of things kick off and, you know, life gets really difficult. How easy it is to think, oh, I'm just going to give up and go somewhere else. Or maybe we won't change it after all. Maybe we'll just go back to the same old, same old. Didn't work before, but I mean, it's easier. Except, you know what I used to find? I used to think, I have a vision of how I want church to be, and I want my children to be in that church. And I'm going to build a church that my children are going to thrive in and that my children and the next generation are going to find spiritual life in and going to grow up and be strong and sturdy in their faith. And that kept me going. See, that's the sort of mother heart that's in us. We'll do it for others. We want the next generation to be there. We want that, that, the, the generation that's coming up to thrive. And then we'll just stick through a bit of difficulty for ourselves. This is the second thing I noticed about her. She didn't take herself too seriously. I mean, Jesus called her one of the dogs. How would you feel about that? That was a sort of joke. It was a sort of joke that might have backfired a little bit, but it didn't because she was able to use a light touch and a sense of humor and just laugh at herself. This is really just a call for us to be able to laugh at ourselves a bit 
and not take ourselves too seriously. And this is the third thing, and it comes on from there. She never, got, she never took offense. And I do think that that's one of the things that as women we're sometimes quite good at, taking offense. Someone says something, or they don't speak to us, or they seem to ignore us, or they say something crass, and we think, hmm. I'm not going to talk to her again if she's like that. I'm just not going to go to her church. I'm not going to go to her group. I'm not going to be part of that thing. And we take offense. Uh, we don't want to be part of it anymore. Actually, this woman, she never took offense. So she eventually got what she went for. She got her daughter healed. And sisters, you know, we've got to be careful we don't take offense. Let's persist. Let's just be prepared to laugh at ourselves, laugh with others, and let's not take offense. And let's practice that as we talk with each other here, and let's go back and take it back to the places that we live in as well. Do you know what Jesus calls all that? Persisting, just being prepared to use a light touch, and not taking offense. He calls that faith. He says, you are a woman of faith. Your daughter's going to get healed. And she is. We're called to be women of faith, and that's what's going to take. This whole mother-daughter generation, I think we're called as women to restore the intergenerational perspective in life. I think there's too much just level perspective, and there's not enough intergenerational perspective. Mothers have mothers and daughters. I'm not talking about uh, real. I'm not talking about, um, you know, whether you have your own children. I'm talking about in the family of God, we have mothers and daughters, and we're called to honor our mothers and to care for our daughters. I'm saying mothers and daughters because we're all women here. Of course, mothers have sons as well, which is exactly why women are called to lead men as well as women. Deborah calls herself a mother in Israel. It's part of her leadership identity. This whole mother heart thing is part of our leadership identity and it's part of the richness that we bring to the church. Let's do it. And this is the last thing that I really want to say about the mothering. The mothering, the mother heart which is made in the image of God, is a woman desperate for more. That's what this woman in Matthew 15 was all about. She was desperate for her daughter. I don't know that she came to Jesus and just asked politely. I think she came with tears in her eyes. And I think that weeping is part of the whole thing. A woman desperate is often a woman weeping. She may be weeping for herself. She may surely be weeping for her children or for the situation that she finds herself in. And part of the mother heart made in the image of God is when we are at home in our bodies so that we can weep for him. And our weeping is often our prayer. Do you know, I think when we don't weep, it's because we've, we're afraid of mess. 
But you know, we're born, we're designed by God with tear ducts and not with a mascara wand. (laughs) And too often, we think of the mascara wand, it will be a mess, not only that, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just will be out of control and I'm afraid. And I think God is calling us as women to restore the weeping that we need to do in the church. I think of a friend of mine who almost every time I pray for her has ended up weeping, either for herself because of her own sense of unworthiness, but then been restored to the Lord as she's wept, or asked for her children because of where they are, or her marriage, or her church. And when she weeps, it's the whole kabang, you know, it's the snot and everything. Uh, You know, you just get used to taking the tissues. You know, that friend of mine has built a church in the most unlikely of situations. She's seeing people transformed. She's seeing drug addicts transformed. She's seeing people uh, brought into wholeness of life, people brought into the kingdom of God, and a church growing in a place where it was barren and it was certainly a desolate inheritance. And, you know, she's got a real mother heart there. She's just led that thing into wholeness. I mean, it's in process. And it's not been without weeping. Some of us are in weeping right now. And we need to, be, um, we need to give one another permission to weep and then act. Our weeping may be our prayer, but, you know, whenever she wept, as soon as her weeping was finished, she was up and at it. And that's what she's achieved. The Lord said, watch and pray. I think to women, he probably would have said, weep and act. Because, you know, our our weeping can sometimes be our praying. I'm just about done. What I really want us to see, what I really want to see amongst us is the rise of the mother hearts that we will find our voices with each other, that we will speak encouragement, affirmation, the word of God to each other, that we will practice here, that we will go back from this place because we have encouraged one another so much that we will be able to go back and reassign the desolate inheritances that the Lord has given us. The one that he's given you is just the one that he's called you to. And it might be different from the person sitting next to you, but there are desolate inheritances everywhere. And the only way we'll do it is when we understand that the Lord has made us people of promise. And in the time of his favor, he says, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances and his promises for you and me now.